Central bankers are already planning for the next crisis. Today, we will discuss what the Fed did this week, why we believe central bankers are already planning for the next crisis, whether or not the Fed and the Treasury are doing battle, the Treasury's announcements for next week, the Fed meeting next week and what to expect, what all of this means for Bitcoin, the imminent uninversion of the Treasury yield curve, and finally, we will do a little chart pack and look at prices across rates, stocks, and Bitcoin. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia. We have a jam-packed episode for you guys today. Lots to cover from around the world in global macroeconomics and financial markets. I want to start with an analogy that I like to use with my students and the audience of the Bitcoin Layer. It's an analogy comparing the global economy to a watch with over 100 moving pieces. In order to understand what is going on in the world economy, as well as understand how financial markets are moving, we must understand dozens and dozens of components. Now, we believe it is impossible for any one person to understand every single component that drives markets and the economy up and down. And in that way, we are doing our best to try to put as many of these pieces together as we can for you, as well as for us, as we try to understand how the economy works, and how financial markets move. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. They do not keep your Bitcoin on a third-party storage solution. They have their own method of storing Bitcoin. They also recommend that you get your Bitcoin into cold storage. Once it's purchased, they allow you to use Lightning Network. And there's these great features, including a recurring purchase on the hour. You can send Bitcoin to your friends and family now via text message. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL. This week in particular, we saw several moving parts start to tick with each other as well as we identified a couple moving parts that we previously didn't see. So a very exciting week for the greater mosaic of global macro analysts, and we want to share some of that with you today. Let's start with what the Fed did this week. They made two announcements over the last couple weeks. We'll start with what they said this week. The Fed announced a change to its BTFP program. This is the bond term funding program program. This is a program that the Fed put in place in March of 2023 after the regional banking crisis and the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. Now, the BTFP was designed to allow these small banks to post treasury collateral, whether or not that treasury collateral was trading at a loss, and receive a loan in order to bridge these banks between difficulty and survival. What ended up happening over the course of the last few months was an arbitrage opportunity opened up for some of these banks in which they could borrow from the Fed and then invest back at the Fed to capture about a 50 basis point arbitrage. Now, in this way, the banks were basically using the Fed to print free money for themselves, and the Fed had a problem with this. In order to solve the arbitrage, The Fed 
raised rates on its BTFP program in order to make it so that banks could not borrow and invest at a higher rate. Essentially, it made the rate at which the banks will borrow and invest the same, eliminating the arbitrage. Now, the Fed did one more thing this week with the BTFP. It formally announced that on March 11th, no new loans would be issued. What that means is that any bank that wanted to use this program past March will not be able to. Now, this connects with what the Fed did last week. So the bond term funding program and its changes that were announced uh, this week were minor. We admit that these changes were minor. But in the context of everything else that's happening, we are starting to see some of the plans for the next financial crisis at the Fed. We do not believe that the next financial crisis is imminent. In fact, when you look at the index on financial conditions, what you see is that financial conditions right now are quite easy. That means rates are not that high, spreads are not that wide, volatility is low, and the pricing of derivatives is cheap because of all these factors. And in this way, there is no fear of an imminent financial crisis. But the Fed is making its plans starting with this coupling of the BTFP change and a change announced last week, which was the mandating of banks to tap the discount window, which is a facility at the Fed used to give liquidity to banks when they are facing a shortfall. So what the Fed is doing is it's eliminating the BTFP and making sure that banks have practice tapping the discount window facility just in case they need it. So these are measures that we see the Fed taking to plan for what might happen if there is another liquidity shortfall in the banking system. Okay, now what signs are we seeing outside of Fed policy explicitly that tell us central bankers are thinking about the next crisis? A perfect example of this is a paper recently released from the Group of 30. This is a think tank of prominent bankers and central bankers. And the goal of this paper, the goal of this report, is to address what happened with Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse in March of 2023 and make suggestions for reforms at the central banking level in order to face the next crisis with more ability. Now, if you're wondering who these people are of the group of 30, I'll read off some of the names and you'll see that these are bankers that have been in the top positions around the world of central banking. And we know that their words will have an influence at the very minimum and likely to actually force changes at the Fed and the ECB. Now, some of these central bankers are people that we have grown to respect over the years. Mervyn King, for one, Muhammad Al-Aryan, John Williams from the Fed. There are several people in here that have a lot of experience and we've seen them make decisions at the central banking level that we respect. Now, there are some others on this list that we believe are mostly focused on driving power to banks and central banks, such as Larry Summers, Jean-Claude Trichet, Former, pre former president of the ECB. So we have to take everything that this group is saying with a grain of salt, but we should remember who these people are and what they are suggesting 
for the establishment central bankers to do. Now, let me read a passage from the executive summary of this paper. Key among the first set of reforms is a better lender of last resort system. This is a crucial and feasible reform. The reformed lender of last resort changes proposed here would entail banks pre-positioning enough collateral to cover, after the normal haircutting for credit risks, all runnable liabilities. That is, all liabilities including capital, long-term debt, swap liabilities, and insured deposits. Central banks would support this with an efficient collateral management system. So what is the formal suggestion here from this group? The suggestion is for banks to pre-position collateral at the central bank. It means basically depositing treasuries at the central bank in order to draw a line of credit in the future in a crisis. And in that way, we wouldn't be facing a scramble for liquidity. Rather, the banks would be tapping liquidity that it has already given itself access to by pre-positioning this collateral at the Fed. Now, it is our belief that this is not the last time we will hear the term pre-positioned collateral. Start to look out for this term in some of the central banking language as they start to prepare for the next crisis. Now, the name of this report was Bank Failures and Contagion, Lender of Last Resort, Liquidity and Risk Management. It means we know for a fact that there is risk across the banking system. We also have a strong feeling that one day there will be another crisis. So what will we do in that time of crisis? We should have some new facilities that will allow the Fed not to have to do something brand new like the BTFP, which it did in March 2023. Now, I want to remind you guys that this all matters for Bitcoin. Why exactly it does, I want you to just wait a little bit and I will explain to you right after this section in which we talk about the Fed and the Treasury potentially doing battle. Now, a reader pointed us to a wonderful article from Stefan Moran. Now, he wrote something about why the Treasury is using its T-bill balance to influence monetary policy and is using a high amount of T-bill issuance to counteract the Fed's quantitative tightening program. And this is something that we mentioned in our research letter. Go sign up today at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe so you can keep abreast of all of our research and analysis as it happens. This is something that we readily admitted that we did not see before. Now, we did understand the relationship between quantitative tightening and treasury bills. We understood that the Fed would need to print more debt in the short-term end of the market in order to account for the fact that the Fed would not be there buying the long-term debt. So what to do about QT? Issue bills. We saw that. We actually wrote something about that in 2022. What we did not see is how the Treasury Department would be using these T-bills to actually influence monetary policy and take that one step further, not only influence monetary policy, but to actually cause the Fed to shift what it is doing. 
The Fed has announced the end of QT that is imminent. It hasn't made this announcement at a Fed meeting yet. It has done this through the press. But what that is doing is preparing us for something potentially said at next week's FOMC meeting that sets the table for a decline in the pace of quantitative tightening and an end to the runoff of the balance sheet, basically stopping the Fed eliminating treasuries from its balance sheet. Why would it have to do this? It might have to do this because of what the Treasury Department is doing in issuing so many treasury bills. So this is something that we want to keep our eye on going forward. Remember to sign up for our research letter. We publish a free letter every weekend at the bitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. We also have a paid product that is very accessible. It's only $10 a month. We suggest you guys go check that out so you can get all of our research and support our operations. I will read you one sentence from this paper. It says, the Fed has engaged in large-scale asset purchases in 11 of the 16 years since the financial crisis, a wildly inappropriate normalization of emergency tools. And this is why I want to bring it back to Bitcoin. We understand Bitcoin as an independent currency, independent meaning free from central banking and banks. The Bitcoin network does not use a central institution to clear transactions. Rather, it uses a network of nodes. These are people and companies running the Bitcoin software. These people and companies running the Bitcoin software have agreed to rules which limit the supply of Bitcoin, limit the new supply of Bitcoin issued every 10 minutes and every day. And in that way, these node operators are locking in a commodity that cannot be influenced by the banking system. And this is why we believe, not investment advice, but we believe that people need to have a Bitcoin allocation if you understand how this banking system works. Now, what have we been talking about today? How the central bankers are pre-positioning themselves for the next crisis by getting banks to preposition collateral for future loans. Now, these loans that will be issued in the future is the creation of new money. And the creation of new money is governed by whom? By central bankers. And do you think that central bankers will be hesitant to issue new debt in a crisis or willing and able? The answer is 100% willing and able. And in this way, you need to own something that protects yourselves from the bankers. And many of you out there already own real estate, you already own stocks, and you already own Bitcoin. This is because you desire property over banking liabilities. We encourage that behavior and we support it. And it is the reason why Bitcoin is so popular and has gained popularity over the last 15 years. It is an independent currency. It is independent from banking. Banking is a disaster always waiting to happen. That's why you see the group of 30 issuing a paper about the next financial crisis. Why? They know it is coming. They have to prepare. How do you prepare? Buy Bitcoin. Have Bitcoin as part of your allocation. 
This is what we see the role for Bitcoin in the future. It is the independence from banking. And so this is why all of this Fed coverage matters, because we are trying to count down the minutes, the days, the weeks and the months until the next financial crisis, knowing what will happen when that happens. Now, as part of our study, we try to look for signs that the financial crisis is coming. So we look at financial conditions. We look at rates. We look at the yield curve, which we will talk about in a second. Financial conditions today are not suggesting a crisis, but that doesn't mean that we won't be looking for it. And so that's what we will continue to do here at the Bitcoin layer. What else is going to happen next week? The Treasury is going to make their quarterly refunding announcement. This happens every quarter. The Treasury comes to the market and tells them, this is the size of our Treasury auctions across the curve. This is how many bills we plan to issue. This is our expected deficit for the quarter. And because of our expected deficit, this is how much debt we have to issue in bills, two-year notes, all the way out to 30-year bonds. Now, the QRA, the quarterly refunding announcements, have attracted a lot of attention of late. Now, why is the market focused on these quarterly announcements? A few reasons. Number one, the deficit is sky high, so we need to know how the Treasury is going to fund itself. Bills, notes, or bonds? What part of the curve? How much in each part of the curve? How much is that going to influence the price on that part of the curve? And very importantly, the Fed is not buying as many treasuries as it once was. So who is going to buy all of this debt? All of this is very important to the market. Now, I want to explain one thing here. The treasury prices, meaning the yields across the curve, are an expression of a couple things. Number one, the term structure of interest rates, which is basically the time value of money. If you are a dollar investor, how much interest will you require to lock your money up for a certain amount of time? That should equal the interest rate. Additionally, there is all of this supply and demand dynamic. So are, are there investors that are not showing up for the auctions? Is the treasury going to issue much more this quarter than it did last quarter? All of these will affect the basic price of securities. What does not influence treasury prices and yields? The creditworthiness of the United States. If this is something that I see people make a lot of mistakes on when they talk about yield curve control or the massive deficit affecting interest rates. Deficits don't affect interest rates. If they did, Treasury yields would not be at zero when the Fed and the Treasury are engaging in QE infinity during the pandemic. The two things do not make sense together. Also, an inverted yield curve, meaning lower long-term yields than front-end yields, is not a sign of credit risk. A credit risk sign would be a steepening yield curve and nobody willing to buy 30-year notes and 30-year bonds. What we see here is that 30-year rates are at 4% while the policy rate is at 5 and a third. This is not yield curve control. It is not credit risk of the United States. It is the term structure of interest rates and the demand for locking up your money for a certain amount of time. And what we know from the term structure of interest rates is that if the overnight policy rate is five and a third and the 10-year yield is 4%, it means the expected overnight rate in years 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 is much lower than not only 5 and a third, 
and for something, but also lower than 4% itself because of the way of bond math and how it works. So the market is expecting a much lower policy rate over the coming years. We look to the yield curve to give us the understanding of what investor expectations are. Now we can talk about what is the Fed going to do next week. The Fed is not going to make any announcements, especially with 3 to 4% GDP. It is not going to announce rate cuts. But what we are looking for is the first announcement that it will make a change to its balance sheet policy, meaning a slowdown in QT. It might basically warn the market that a slowdown in QT is front of mind. And that will set the table for a more formal announcement in March, which might set the table for the announcement of coming rate cuts, which could come in May or June. It's still our base case that June is the first rate cut, definitely not January, and almost certainly not March, unless something happens between now and then. Now, let's talk quickly about the yield curve and the imminent uninversion. Let's look at this chart. This is a chart that we have talked about before. The last two times that we had a recession, save for the pandemic, I don't want to talk about that era really uh, during this example. I want to look at the 01.com bubble popping and the 08 recession. In each time you had a rally in 10-year yields, meaning a decline in 10-year yields, this is the purple line going down, signified by these red arrows. Now, the orange line, which is the yield curve, it's black when it's below zero, meaning when it's inverted, it's black on this chart. And you see the blue arrows pointing up. This is the re-steepening of the yield curve after inversion. You can see that each in the last two times, when the blue arrow went up, what followed is a recession. These are these gray shaded areas on the chart. So the re-steepening precedes the recession. Why? Because the re-steepening happens when the Fed cuts rates. The Fed cuts rates when we are in a recession. Now, what are we thinking here about recession? It could still be 12 months away, but historically and empirically, we are looking for it to happen. Why? Yield curve inversion, yield curve uninversion. Treasuries rallying, meaning rates declining, while the treasury yield curve is steepening. This is called the bull steepening of the yield curve. We are still looking for this to happen. Looking closer at the chart, what we see here on the yield curve is that it should uninvert at the latest by May, just looking at the way that the trend has started to unfold. It could happen as early as May. It could happen as early as next week if the Fed starts to signal a more accommodative stance. And remember that even if the Fed cuts rates by 1%, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going from restrictive to accommodative. It might mean just that it's going from restrictive to neutral, and it might do that because it sees inflation heading firmly toward its 2% target. Okay, I want to finish with a little bit of price action. Let's look at the candles. I want to show you guys what I am seeing on the charts. Let's start with the two-year yield. So we've just looked at twos, tens. This is the difference between the 10-year yield and the two-year yield. We see that it's somewhere between 10 and 20 basis points today. That means with a two-year yield at about four and a quarter and a 10-year yield just north of 4%, we are almost equal on these two yields. Now, what are we seeing in twos? 
I told you guys last year, I expect this rounding top and twos to head toward 4%. It's happened pretty quickly, but what I find the most interesting is what has happened in these last four or five weekly candles. The two-year yield has gone pretty much nowhere as GDP has shown us 3 to 5% readings. The retail numbers are strong. The consumer is strong. Unemployment is low. Unemployment claims have ticked back down. A strong labor market, a strong consumer, and a strong headline economy, lots of government spending, which has influenced GDP upward. And what is happening to the front end of the curve? Absolutely nothing. No rate hikes being priced in and far from it. Basically, Rate cuts not even getting priced out of the market. If they were, this yield be, would be much higher. It would be somewhere between 45 and 5%, as that number would indicate a small expectation of cuts. We still have a large expectation of cuts. What's the policy rate? Five and a third. Where's the two-year note? Less than four and a third. It means well over 100 basis points priced into the market And especially if we don't see a cut happening in January or in March or maybe even in May, that means a ton of cuts are happening after June toward the back end of 2024 and maybe even in 2025. So that is the setup. Why would the Fed be cutting rates so drastically? It can really only be one of two things, a financial crisis or a recession. Neither of those things are things that we're seeing, but we trust the treasury market. Maybe that's our folly, but this is the market that we trust. And so when we see this sort of inversion of twos to Fed funds of over 100 basis points, it matters. It matters a lot. It told us that the Fed would pause last year. It's telling us that the Fed will cut this year, and we believe it. Now let's go to 10-year yields. What I drew on this chart in this little circle here is where the 10-year note could go on yield if this sell-off is to continue, but it still is at a yield that's much suppressed to the policy rate. Again, well over 100 basis points inverted to the policy rate. Now, what I saw happen this week is that the 10-year yield came up and touched this trend line, this descending trend line, and started to decline again, even this morning on Friday here, after a week PCE number, we see yields coming back down again. It is this deflation narrative. It's the 2% inflation goal unlocked narrative, meaning the Fed has reached its target. This should not support for uh, future restrictive policy. Forget rate hikes. Those are long gone. We told you that months ago that rate hikes are over. Cuts are next. The treasury yield curve is telling you this. So yes, we see room to about four and a third here. But keep your eye on the price action off of this 415, 410 level. If the yield comes back down, it means we are firmly in bull mode, meaning lower yields. Now, when do I expect tens to get all the way down to 3.5% and two-year yields to get down to 3.5% on rate cuts? Not yet. Okay, not yet. I actually believe that twos and tens are somewhat fairly valued in this low 4% range as what it's doing is pricing in a slowdown in growth, a slowdown in inflation, and rate cuts happening and actually materializing in the middle of 2024 toward the end of the year. The next chart here, second to last chart I have for you guys is the S&P 500. Now we know that the S&P has reached all-time highs several of the last 
trading sessions. We see it basically almost at 5,000. This is, has been a continued unbelievable run for the stock market off of the November lows. What is the reason? It's the rate pause rally. Some people out there might be thinking that the rally in stock market means no recession is actually coming, especially when we see a historical correlation between the stock market and the economy. When the stock market is doing well, it means the economy is doing well and vice versa. So if the stock market is doing well, it must mean there's no recession coming. This is far from the truth if we look historically. We're not here to pick a price on stocks or even pick a top on stocks. However, we're bringing it back to the cycle theory, seeing here that going into rate cuts, rate cuts only happen in recessions. Recessions drive poor stock returns. So we are looking for that correlation to hold. We just don't know at what time and with how much lag. So again, we could be talking about something that might not happen for 12 to 18 months, but our goal is to give you guys a framework. It's your decision what to do with that when you're making your investment allocations. Again, thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe for our research letter in which we are publishing all of this research analysis on a regular basis. Go sign up for our free research letter today. Now, the last chart I have for you guys, of course, is Bitcoin. We are looking here at weekly candles. I have drawn a couple trend lines. One is this lower trend line here in the low 20,000 range. This is basically, basically connecting the November of 22 lows, the FTX lows, with the previous bear market lows. And so that's the steady trend that we're, we're definitely needing to hold to ensure we are in a bull market. But then this next increasing trend line is the current bull market trend line. And that support comes in in the low 30,000. So we are quite a ways away from testing the actual support of this bull market. Now, zooming in much more, I've drawn a horizontal line at around 38,000, which was the low that we saw this week off of grayscale GBTC dumping in this new ETF era. Now, I think that this 38,000 area is important to hold for Bitcoin. And if it doesn't hold, we will test most likely the trend line that we have here representing this current bull market in the low 30s. But these are the two areas I want you guys to think about. We're thinking about Bitcoin's volatility, right? Bitcoin is going to have extreme moves both up and down, but it's our job to put it all in context for you. So this is the context here. Anything above the low 30s looks really good for Bitcoin. It looks like we are firmly in a early stage bull market. We like that. And so we are going to continue to watch how Bitcoin holds these trends. Thank you guys for sticking with us for today's video. A lot to cover. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll catch you next time at the Bitcoin Layer. The Bitcoin Layer is very proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today for a special offer at river.com slash TBL for up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. River is a Bitcoin only exchange and we want you guys to make sure you are getting allocated in the safest way possible. Go check them out today.